0: Welcome to your Canadian's Connection on Rocket Sports Radio. This premier hockey podcast featured on allhabs.net brings you the latest news, in-depth analysis, and expert commentary about the NHL's most storied franchise, the Montreal Canadiens, with your hosts, Joe Whalen and Rick Stevens. Our team of credentialed journalists provides behind the scenes insight on the Canadians, designed to inform, entertain, and engage Habs fans around the globe. We are proud to be the trusted source for all things Habs for more than a decade. This is the Canadians Connection Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Canadian's Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio, keeping you informed, engaged, and entertained. My name is Joseph Whalen, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. This is episode 111 of the Canadian's Connection podcast. I'm pleased to be joined, as always, in studio uh, by my co-host, Mr. Rick Stevens, the editor-in-chief, president founder of Rocket Sports Media. Rick, how are you doing today?
2: Doing great. I'm I'm excited for this show. they we got so much to pack in here. We've got lots of hockey to talk about and, and hockey all over the place from yeah. college and junior hockey to, um, you know, we were talking in the pregame, in the pregame, yeah, the pre-show. It's, it's pregame. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that uh, <laughs> um, we, we, we couldn't even squeeze the, the Team Canada workouts in, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that, we'll on, that on the press zone and, and you and I will talk about it uh, in uh, future episodes as well, but just a lot of hockey right now
1: there there certainly is and in due time we will get back to the world juniors that is for sure because as i say every year it's the most wonderful time of the year i say that a lot i say that during multiple times (laughs) of the year but i think the world juniors is legitimately the most wonderful time of the year so we will be devoting time to that in future episodes there's no doubt about that and you and amy johnson uh yeah you've got us covered this week on the press zone for the world juniors but rick as you said there is a lot to get to this week, and we say that most weeks, but this week there is a lot to get to. And you said it, there's games, there's hockey that is happening right now, be it overseas, be it college hockey, uh, junior hockey. It's all happening, so we have a lot to get to. And of course, given the fact that in this last few weeks, and, and we will still be talking about it going forward, the uncertainty surrounding this year as well with the NHL, what the season is going to look like. We have, we have an idea that there will be a season, but what is it all going to look like? And Rick, in segment two, we are going to be getting to a very interesting question. Uh, at whether or not the Montreal Canadiens have a better shot of making the playoffs in the Atlantic division or an all-Canadian division. So we're going to get to that in segment two. That's going to be a very fun conversation that I'm looking forward to. But Rick, before we get there, you touched on it. We do have hockey that is happening around the world right now and some Montreal Canadiens prospects uh, of interest and in the news. And, Rick, we'll start with a report surrounding Jacob Olofsson, the Habs' 2018 second-round pick. Uh, there's a report around that he will sign a two-year deal uh, with Timra of uh, the all
2: That's right. Uh, not confirmed yet, but it's, it's all signs are it's moving in uh, that direction. We remember... Uh, Jacob Olofsson, um, 2018, uh, 50, uh, 56 overall, second round yeah. pick by the Canadians. Um, he's a center, good size, 6'2", 200. Um, just a, a, a solid two-way center and uh, good hands, good skater. Um, but it looks like uh, he'll be uh, in the uh, uh, in his homeland for, for the next two years. Next year, this year and next year, uh, with uh, or with Timra, as we said, although it looks like maybe next season uh, he may be moving up to the next level, uh, yeah. next level being the SHL. So, um, yeah, good for his development and uh, no rush from uh, the Canadian side to get him over here just yet.
1: Yeah, and, and Timra was just recently relegated to the Allsvenskan, they couldn't make it back up, so we, we'll wait and see on that, but... But, Rick, the one thing that we have been talking about in the past number of weeks, uh, the prospect report uh, for the Montreal Canadiens, and Jasperi Kotkaniemi has been at the center of that, given the fact that Canadians' third overall pick back in that same 2018 draft we just spoke of. Uh, and people were waiting for him to score his first goal uh, since heading over to Finland, and uh, he scored two. Uh, just for good measure and the first the one of them on the power play that quickly made the rounds on social media that i saw he scored a shorthanded goal as well and just before we went on the air today i uh, picked up an assist a really nice assist uh it was a, almost a shot pass to the front of the net, deflected by his teammate uh so he's very cut Kanami. all signs are, are pointing towards him uh, you know sort of finding
2: that form that we saw in the playoffs and that, uh, where he got his first two goals, that that game was up against uh, fellow uh, Canadians prospect Yasiel Um and uh, uh, in that game um, he played 19 minutes and 43 seconds, which is uh, pretty good. That's that's Kokiniami also won 61 percent of his faceoffs, which we know was uh, a bit of a struggle during uh, during the playoffs. Uh, so it's yeah. nice to see him uh, getting that uh, going as well. But, you know, there was some concern initially about uh, his point totals, but he's he's right back up there and looking looking very good um, in his tune up uh, before he comes back for the Canadians training camp.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, listen, we, we all expect that at some point he would start racking up these points. The face offs is a big thing. And how he's skating, how he's moving—you want to see that development, and and to see that sort of start to show—that's that's a good sign. Another Canadiens prospect uh, last week, uh, Cole Caulfield. Um, he unfortunately took a rather a, a large hit, a very big hit. Um, fortunately, he was fine after that hit. Um, but Rick, it was a it was a dangerous-looking play, and he's fortunate that it that it didn't result in any sort of injury. He Actually, didn't even miss a shift. Uh, he got right back out there uh, for the power play, the ensuing power play. Um, but yeah, it looked it was a bit of a late hit after he was he, he had shot the puck and he was sort of coasting a little bit and and someone came and uh, and finished their check hard. Fortunately, it looked like it caught mostly the body of of Cole Caulfield. Didn't really make any direct contact with the head. If it had, that could have been a very scary story. Uh, but good news for Montreal Canadiens fans, Cole Caulfield's fine.
2: Yeah, he was fine, and he played in his uh, in his games uh, this week. Um, that The incident occurred last Saturday uh, when yeah. they were playing Notre Dame. It was Colin Thiessen, Thiessen um, who's a, a, a winger for Notre Dame, not a big player, six foot, um, about 185 pounds, uh, but just had uh, lined him up right, and, and it was a, a bit uh, careless by Cole Caulfield. Took the shot yeah. from the circle was watching his uh, his shot and uh, and and kind of turned into the center of the ice and and, and Colin Tyson just ran him over uh, and was uh, penalized and, and tossed out of the probably uh, undeserved but but um, I, th- I think that uh, Cole was let me see he was quoted here as saying, in my eyes, it was a legal check, uh, but I didn't have the chance to see it happen. No, he didn't. He was watching. <laughs> he was watching his his shot. Uh, it was a big check. People started to panic. It's my fault. I placed myself in a vulnerable s- situation. This is something I'll have to learn from this game. It's all part of hockey, and I feel good. Uh, so yeah. fortunately, as you said, um, he was able to uh, uh, to feel good. And uh, last night, his game. Um, against the University of Michigan went into overtime uh, and Wisconsin lost to Michigan that was uh, for the second game in a row I believe Uh, Caulfield picking up uh, one assist in that game
1: yeah and I mean that's something for a player of of Cole Caulfield's stature I mean you talk you, you hear some players that are in around that ballpark of height and weight that it's almost a skill for them to be the elusive guy to avoid those hits because if they connect sometimes it can be pretty debilitating for those guys so Something that, yeah, Cole Caulfield, uh, at least he had the self-awareness to say that it, that it was mostly uh, on him that he put himself in that position. But uh, we'll see how it, uh, how it progresses going forward and if he uh, doesn't, see if he doesn't make that mistake again. Uh, so, Rick, we'll move on to uh, one of our favorite segments on this podcast, They Said What? And uh, this, this time around, uh, Patrick DeLayle Oud, um, the strength and uh, conditioning coordinator for the Montreal Canadiens, Uh, And he touched on a variety of subjects, and the first of which I find very interesting, uh, talking about Shea Weber making his job easier
3: well Shay, uh first of all Shay is an exceptional, exceptional athlete and is an exceptional leader as a as a quick example Shay started like a Shea started like a competition on like on on a virtual bike play with the other guy to keep them active to keep them like physically active and to keep the group together that's just an example as a guy as a leader he is in the gym in terms of injuries yes he had a, he had a few injuries over the years uh you cannot approach a guy that like Shea Weber, like a young kid, let's, let's let's say as an example, Nick Suzuki. Those are two different athletes, they're two different persons they're two different hockey player. It's very important to play around the player of what he's capable of doing, of what he needs, and of what like of what's gonna help him the best to have the longest career possible performing at the highest level so we adjust a lot in function of his physical capability and of what he likes to if you go like if you take an athlete such as shea weber and i'm not saying that like we're always in the back and telling like pounding his back far away from there but if you take an athlete as shea weber has so much experience if we play within what he likes he's going to perform even better in the gym which we Hope is going to help him perform on the ace. By this, I mean we're talking with the players. We're not trying to play against him. We're playing with him. We're just facil- facilitators, if you think about it. we're As a strength coach, we're there to guide him to improve and to stay healthy and in the optimal state of performance.
2: So Pat DeLalud is um... – is the the strength and conditioning coordinator, and he's part of a team this this training and and medical team that works together, works uh, hand in hand to uh, guide the players, uh, as he said, and and put together these uh, very individualized uh, training programs for them. Um, when I was listening to to, to that first clip, it, it kind of brought me back to what we had talked about a couple of weeks ago with Rob Ramage, and Rob Ramage talked about the importance of of competition. And especially when you're on your own and everybody is, you know, spread all over uh, the place um, it, during the, the the time off here, the off season, um, but still finding a way to compete. Uh, Rob Ramage talked about the prospects. He encouraged them, whether they're playing tennis, whether they're playing golf, to to put some money down and compete. In this example, um, uh, Patrick uh, Delahood said, uh, that it was Shea Weber and talked about how good of a leader he is that set up this um, this cycling group, and for cyclists, I'm a cyclist, and and cyclists will know that that um, there's all kinds of apps that you can use to. There's a, an app like Strava to collect the data. There's a, an app like um, Zwift uh, where you where you for for riding you you get a, a virtual biking community together and you you bike together well this is what shea weber has done and has uh, an internal group biking group uh cycling group with the canadians uh to to foster that that camaraderie to keep them together even though they're they're spread apart as well as to 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 instill some competition what a what a great leader uh that that shea weber is and is able to take this on and and uh Uh, this kind of initiative for uh, the Canadians during the the offseason.
1: We talk about the culture that Shea Weber brings into the Montreal Canadiens, just his presence, being there and being that leader that everyone can depend on. But this is just something that you're taking it an extra step. You're taking it that extra mile if you're Shea Weber and you're doing this in the midst of a very difficult period in terms of, I mean, it's difficult to... Uh, get to train together to keep up that camaraderie, as you said. So to, to find a creative way like this, uh, yeah, I can understand how this makes uh, the job easier for Allude, but uh But Rick, he also touched on uh, the execution, because he, he talked about Shea Weber, the fact that he's dealt with injuries over the course of his time in Montreal. Uh, he, he talked about executing a, a rehab plan, and what goes into that?
3: Like everybody was in the meeting, trying to prepare a plan uh, that was optimal for Shea and that was optimal for the team as well. So the the, the, the plan when it was established, we was re- the plan was reviewed every week. It was not like a, well, we're gonna follow this six month plan and doesn't matter what is gonna play at the end of six months. It was reviewed instead of saying uh, you should be able to do this. Uh, let's say you should be able to skate after the fourth month. while he had blocks to be accomplished every week and every. Well, we could even go that small every day, to be able to go to the next step. That's how like it was able to come back in a shorter amount of time. You put so much effort when like when you're uh, when you're training and when you spend so much time taking care of your body in the clinic, taking care of your body at home, recovering, heating well. While at the end of the day, it pays off and you're able to come back sooner.
2: So a rehab plan is very complex, and again, he talked about meeting. Uh, as a team with uh, the coaching staff the the doctors the medical staff uh, Pierre Allard who's the director of sports science and performance he has all the data that's um, yeah they have they have data that uh, is a benchmark for for each player and when somebody's coming back on rehab you compare that data to what they're how they're able to perform uh, in their individual sessions on the ice to see wh- how how far they have to get to be back to uh, their optimal level, uh, but uh, it, it's it's you know the, the the individual training plans, but the the level of detail, the granular level uh, that they go to, so that they set up these uh, de- uh, weekly goals uh, that have to be accomplished before they move to the next step, um, really helps in these in these rehab plans. I use Shay Weber as an example, but. Uh, we know there's been uh, other injuries too that they've had to deal with, uh, but Weber obviously came back uh, sooner than than most expected.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's it's incredible to think about because when when we see a player get injured, I mean that's you just think about okay, well they're going to be gone for a period of time. We're not going to see them, but there's so much work that goes in behind the scenes when that happens that we don't see that we're not privy to, and and it's remarkable work that's done. And in, in any case, when a player gets injured. And, and we never we never see that, but it's stuff that's happening behind the door. And, and sometimes it allows for a quicker return than anticipated, like with Shea Weber. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's really remarkable. So uh, great to hear in some detail there. And uh, moving on, uh, Patrick DeLalude also touched on um, the changes
3: that, that have been made by Yisperi Kotkaniemi. For KK, it's very simple. Immature, immature a lot. I think it was good for him to go to go back and like think about what he needs to improve, and also to his strength coach back home. He just spent a lot of more time. He understood that he had to train harder in terms of becoming stronger, and he did. So well done, KK.
2: Well done, KK. And <laughs> <Well> it, done. <laughs> it seems that everybody has said that. Uh, we remember, uh, uh, Joe Bouchard said that. Uh, Mark Bergevin said that. That this is something he took on himself, uh, and the reason that he came back and and was a, uh, by most estimations, a different player, in the return to play in the playoffs, a few months ago, is he as as uh, DelaHood said. Uh, it's very simple. He matured and and he realized that there was things that he had to do, and he did it. Uh, yeah. He did it on his own and he did it back in Finland and and worked with his his own um, uh, strength coach over there. So uh, full marks to to Kogennyami for uh, for taking that on and for for uh, realizing it was something he had to do.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that, that sort of internal drive, that is what separates the good from the great. And if you have that at an early age, like Yasperi Kotkaniemi has shown, um, having the maturity of a very difficult situation when he was sent down to say, well, this is an opportunity for me to learn and grow. And then in the in the midst of the pandemic as well, to continue that growth, even though he had the spleen injury, nothing but good things to say about Yasperi Kotkaniemi throughout all of that. So I just touched on the pandemic. And with Rob Ramage, we talked about this a couple weeks back when we had the They Said What for Rob Ramage. Uh, Delilu touched on the challenges to his role during the pandemic.
3: Well, the cha- one of the challenges is not <laughs> being all together. It's always easier to get like a team ready all together and being in our facility. But we're used to that in terms of like during the summer while everybody's back home. So that's a state that we're used to. From there, we're, one of the challenges is not being able to use all the material that we're used to. At the end of the day, material and like, it's just tools, it's just different tools. So you gotta be more imaginative to make different tools. Like you think, if you think just as a dumbbell, well, a dumbbell is just weight. What can you, how can you recreate the weight that you're using in the gym at home. And the other biggest challenge I would say is probably the ice, the availability of the ice, depending of where you are on the planet. Well, this is not always available and you're not necessarily able to get on the ice and play, not at the NHL level, because I would say it's very hard to recreate, but at a very high performing level.
2: So um, being apart is not, is not uh, being separated from the players is not unusual uh to the to the training staff. Um what is unusual is uh the players access to to equipment and to ice. Um and he mentioned that equipment is is um yeah you can't get into the gym you can't use weights but but that's just a tool. There's gotta be some things around the house that you can find. And and we heard um uh Raphael Harvey Pinard we talked about it on the press zone uh, Uh, That he in in Joel Teasdale's backyard, they set up uh, their own little private gym with uh, with homemade kind of uh, equipment, Uh, and that's what uh, some players who have been uh, haven't been able to get to uh, into gyms uh, have had to do. Uh, access to ice. That's, that's obviously a little bit more difficult. Um, and it's made a a little bit more difficult by the, the recent announcements in, in Quebec for those players in Quebec and the lack of access. We talked about it to, uh, and, and, uh, that's going to continue into January. Um, and so that's I I that's why not only the Canadians but many teams have sent uh, the number of players uh, that they have to Europe so that those players yeah. can get access not only to ice but as Pat said uh, that that uh, high level uh, um, uh, exposure to uh, to game action uh, on the ice.
1: Yeah, and, and certainly that's something that you want to you want to have uh, for those young, especially those younger players, you want to keep them uh, in that game shape and, and in that development curve that you, uh, that you are hoping for. Uh, but Rick, I remember a, a good few, uh, a good few months ago. Now, uh, Mark Bergevin had a press conference. who's asked about what his biggest concern was going forward or the biggest difficulty. And it was the unknown. And uh, it yeah. was a very short answer, but here we have Delahoud De Laud- talking about, the difficulties in preparing for the unknown.
3: It, it is a, it is a, it is hard. It's a challenge. I would not say it's a problem. I don't like like the word problem. Itself. <laughs> it's a challenge. So yeah, it's a problem. There's a solution for it. So it's a challenge. There's a solution for it. Uh, the way we approach it is we don't want to peak too early. Like I said, you don't want to be on the ice six times a, day a week and just being exhausted as we're going to get to the camp. So we use this as a building foundation. So we move away from the classic block, block, block prioritization to get to the training camp to more of a development in place building foundation making sure we cover all aspect uh, athletic qualities and making sure that the athlete is going to be ready because we ex- we're expecting uh probably like we don't know but probably like a yeah. uh, a training camp similar to like what happens during the summer we don't know well we don't know how many times the players are gonna be able to touch the ice we're gonna get this information how many players like how many times they skated before getting to training camp but we don't know if it's gonna be the same for everybody or if some players are gonna be at, at skated like five times or other players are gonna be like on the ice 30 times before getting on the ice so we're that's one of the challenge but we're gonna have to adjust and find a solution to make sure that like every player's is physically physically capable of going through the stress of a training camp, but also of a long season. It's a different challenge when you think about it, as like during the summer, where it was a quick training camp and playoff right away.
2: So w- what what um, fans may not realize is you don't train the same way uh, throughout the off season. Uh, there's building blocks uh, that yeah. that. Um, uh, you start uh, in the off season and you, you add certain things and you're building t- so that your, your peak level is going to be when training camp starts. And normally that's all known well in advance right now. We don't know when training camp's going to be. We don't know when the start of the season's going to be. Yeah. Um, so it's been made more difficult uh, for, um, for the, the training staff to help build these off season training programs for the, the players. Um the other part of it is uh, they don't even know how long the season's going to be uh, but the assumption is that there's there's going to be uh, more games uh, more games uh, you know happening quickly, a condensed kind of schedule um, so that even in the training program there's got to be rest built in uh, so that uh, you don't have a lot of tired players coming off their conditioning into uh, training camp whenever that whenever that happens.
1: yeah and Rick, I mean it's players sort of have the idea of the ballpark time that they're going to have to be prepared to play to begin an NHL season. So they, they know when it is they need to start hitting these benchmarks. Yeah, you said it. With this sort of uncertainty, it's it's a bit more up in the air at this point. So we'll have to wait and see. But, Rick, uh, we'll move to some uh, quick hits news items that, that emerged this week. And we'll start with one that emerged at the beginning of the week. And you and Amy Johnson on the latest episode of The Press Zone had an opportunity to give your thoughts on the reverse retro jerseys because they were revealed for all 31 teams in the NHL and uh, much has been said about these reverse retro jerseys and we won't waste too much time because a lot of it's it's, it's been it's been uh, sort of it's had its time in the sun uh, but Rick, we'll touch on the the Montreal Canadiens one because we, we sort of started this conversation last week because there was that little six second clip that was revealed that, that sort of showed, what it was going to be like, and ultimately uh, they revealed it, and uh, it it looks it looks better than I thought it would. Uh, to be quite honest, um, I I said last week, not a big fan of the primary blue colored Habs jersey. It's just not. It's not something that that I that I really wanted to see, um, but I understand that there are those that have wanted to see it, and and you referenced I believe a designer from Laval mm-hmm. who had made this this concept jersey the what's a year ago year a, or so year and a half ago yeah year and a half ago. So this has been something that fans have wanted. It's just not really my cup of tea, and that's fine because at the end of the day, one man's opinion. If you like the jersey, that's fine. But I would have preferred them go the route of the white jersey with the with the blue stripe across the middle, even something resembling the winter classic jersey they wore a few years back. there's 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 different avenues they could have went down here. I just didn't really like what they landed on.
2: Um, yeah, it's it's hard that that uh, that New York Ranger blue to be the predominant yeah. color uh just kind of rubs you the wrong way now uh, you know as as our colleague Mike Raschel said it's clean it's sharp yep. uh and and I agree with all of that it's just um i don't know it's 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 uh, the fan base particularly uh maybe the younger casual fans seem to be uh all over this they uh, on social media they seem to like it um it's been rated by the score and and uh the athletic and and in the top 10 uh there uh it's certainly not not one of the worst it's just uh there were other yeah. options i think uh and certainly compared to you know i said the red wings look like a practice jersey the <laughs> the uh, winnipeg jets has got awful yeah, the Ra- the uh, the islanders i, I don't I'm not a Islanders aficionado, but I don't notice a lot of difference there. They're, yeah, um, with <laughs> with some of their current jerseys. So, yeah, um, I, I, it's it's okay. It's fine. Um, the The interesting thing for me is uh, that if you're if you're willing and uh, and ready to shell out three hundred dollars for uh, you know one of these jerseys, it's not going to be around for a long time. Yeah. Um, it's, it's going to be used in next season, uh, the 2020-2021 mm-hmm. season. Uh, but Jeff Molson dropped a bit of a tidbit uh, that I thought was interesting, saying that uh, they, are, they intend to, the Canadians intend to unveil uh, a permanent third jersey, not next year, not the year after, but the year after that. Um, wow. So um, this is just their participation in the reverse retro yeah. theme that the nhl came up with and they are uh, uh working on designs for a permanent third jersey uh that's going to be uh out in a in, in a season or two
1: well that's that's a long-term plan there from jeff molson and and we were going to have the conversation over the summer about third jerseys and and i've i've long been an advocate for the montreal canadians to have a third jersey i think that you have enough history you have enough jerseys enough uh, you know, sort of, uh, you could you could go back and, and, and unveil, uh, you know, and, and use so much of, of what you've already had in your history, uh, like in the uh, the centennial season, you could go back to any one of those and it'd be fine. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's it's just not what I would have landed on if if it were up to me. But again, listen, people like it, that's their prerogative. That's if they want to spend three hundred dollars, they can. And listen, I, I think that there's something to be said too for just the aesthetic. You turn on a game and you just see that third jersey, it's just a nice change of pace. It doesn't ultimately mean anything, but it just makes maybe the the initial uh, watch of a game a little bit more enjoyable to see some different, uh, different colors. <laughs> uh, but, Rick, we'll move on to uh, this story that emerged regarding the NHL and NHLPA. Uh, stop me if you've heard that before. <laughs> uh, and and uh, we remember back to the beginning of the pandemic uh, where – there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of balls in the air, and the CBA was, was one that needed to be caught really, really quick. And uh, they got it sorted out with a new agreement that could get them into the bubble and get that process underway. And, and for years to come, it was going to be that way. But they've revisited that, the NHL wanting to have some, some changes made to that agreement that they reached just at the very beginning of the pandemic
2: it's um yeah and and it, at that point uh, it was uh it was labor peace for the next you yeah. know umpteen years next um, years yeah. yeah so um uh, right through 25 26 um yeah. and and it was uh it was in a, in a short period of time uh, relatively they came up with a, a rather comprehensive agreement for return to play as well as as uh, the CBA for the the next 6 years um but th- in this, but 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 times have changed, uh, yeah. You know, uh, and the situation has become more dire. Um, they were hoping the NHL was hoping to have fans in the seats uh, when they returned. Uh, doesn't look like that's going to happen. The pandemic has has uh, lingered longer than um, and, and and than anybody uh, had predicted, and really, it's been unpredictable throughout. Um, and so uh the nhl has as uh, said that uh, th- they're going to have to require some uh, adjustments to that cba even though it was just uh, put together a short time ago and you know rightly so it looks like what wh- how many games are going to be played 48 yeah. 56 60 max uh and we're running out of time for for that because um you know, the playoffs got to have to start, say, mid-May. They have to be done by early July. Um, and there's got to be a, a period of time in there to uh, a week or so to make up for games that are canceled due to positive COVID tests because they're not in the, in the bubble. Um, you know, uh, on Thursday, uh, the Quebec Premier um, said that that the restrictions on sport facilities in the province, they will all must remain closed till January 11th. Uh, so that's going to affect the the Canadians start. Uh, you know, obviously not gonna uh, uh, start at home on on January 1st and uh, and it's losing uh, time to get uh, all teams started by then. So, um, if if they play half as many games, should the the players be getting half of their salary? Well, the league isn't even asking for that. Uh, what they're asking for is a, a bump up in the escrow uh, from twenty to twenty five percent, and then the the they had asked for a ten percent um, deferral of salary. Deferral, yeah. Um, in the the last CBA, they want that to go up another an additional sixteen percent to twenty six percent. Sounds sounds steep. However, deferral means you're still going to get that money. You're still getting it. You're going to get yeah. that money. Uh, it's not as if they have to go without. So it seemed like a, a proposal uh, by the league, by the, the uh, uh, teams that uh, might be um, uh, acceptable by the, the players, but the NHLPA was pretty miffed uh, about this. Um, and the reaction from, well, I mean, Alan Walsh is a buffoon anyway. (laughs) Uh, but, but player agent Alan Walsh said, uh, imagine if players approached the league four months after agreeing to the new CBA, attempting to dramatically change the terms of the deal. Uh, Gary Bettman would say, take a hike. Uh, the ink isn't even dry. Well, it's a pandemic and the situation has changed. Um, and you know, I, I've seen some math geniuses out there saying the players' salaries are going to be cut 72%. Well, they're not. Uh, this A yeah. good portion of this money is going to be deferred. They're going to get the money. Uh, but just um, uh, in a deferred situation when the economics uh, get better. And um, players don't want franchises to have to shut their doors and and, and lose yeah. franchises and, and put them in jeopardy here. So there's got to be a, a, a a reasonable solution. Um, and I think the play, it's time for the players, forget about talking about uh, how difficult the bubble is and having to have steak five times a week. This is a serious yeah. situation for a lot of people. And, and uh, I think uh, they need, th- this for them was a bit of a wake up call, I think.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I can understand from maybe the perspective of you went to the table, you negotiated it, you thought that it was done and over with. You don't want to have to do that, go back to the table and try to rework this. But as you said, it's and for the owners, they're operating, they're running a team. It's a gate-driven league. We know that. We know that they get the, a lot of the hockey-related revenue from fans paying money to go watch the games. And I think Pierre Lebron, he wrote a piece in the in The Athletic about this. Uh, and I think he puts it pretty succinctly. But in the meantime, the sport risks looking brutal as wealthy people on both sides argue over money at a time when so many people are hurting. And I think that mm-hmm. just puts it in, in perspective, right? That's that's what it all comes down to. And I think that it will probably be uh, <laughs> they'll probably come to an agreement, and hopefully, it would be uh, with the deferral salary that the players get the money that they agreed to. But we'll wait and see on that. But Rick. Moving on, because there was really unfortunate news. And as we said, I mean, this is a time, the pandemic, there's spikes all over. And um, unfortunately, um, the ECHL announced that all teams in the North Division uh, will suspend play uh, for the 2020-2021 season. So um, unfortunate bit of news there.
2: This is tough. This is really tough. And we remember that uh, the ECHL was kind of optimistic and they had planned to start on December 11th for a certain amount uh, number of teams, and then January 15th for the rest uh, with uh, an imbalanced schedule. Uh, but this is a whole division now that has said um, uh, they they are suspending for the uh, the 2021 season. Uh, that is the Adirondack Thunder, uh, affiliate of the Devils, Brampton Bees, former Canadians affiliate. Now affiliate uh, affiliation is with uh, Ottawa, the Maine Mariners. And remember, Danny Briere is is the guy there, and there's an association between he and Joel Bouchard, and that's where a good number of of uh, the Canadians prospects were sent. Uh, a Rangers f- uh, affiliate. Um, in your backyard, the Newfoundland Growlers, yeah. uh, that's the Toronto Maple Leafs um, affiliate, the Reading Royals, uh, Flyers affiliate, and the Worcester uh, I, uh, Railers, who are the Islanders affiliate. Um, we, we had hoped to see a Trois-Riviere. We're not going to see that yeah. uh, this year for the Canadians. Uh, the other part of this, um, this uh, press release that's concerning is it says that all players— from those teams, from the entire North Division, are now free agents uh, and can sign with any of the other teams in the ECHL. Uh, Now, if you've been listening to the press zone, you know that the Canadians uh, organization has loaded up. I mean, they've got uh, enough players for for an AHL team, for the Laval Rocket, and for an ECHL team, uh, and now, where do those players go? That's that's going to be the the difficulty. Um, so uh, I, I, this is this is a tough decision. You know, uh, Ryan Crenlin, the ECHL commissioner, um, said that uh, this is this has been based on the fact that they're not going to be able to have uh, fans in the building, uh, and they just can't. They just can't. Op- the franchises can't operate uh, that yeah. way.
1: Yeah, and yeah, it's a it's a very difficult time and unfortunately, yeah, you see it there with, with some teams that have to announce that they're not gonna be playing at all. And uh unfortunate for uh the the fans here in, in St. John's and Newfoundland because they didn't get to finish their defense of their title mm-hmm. last year with the season getting cut short. So now there's not gonna be ECHL hockey here and the Newfoundland Growlers have quickly become a, a favorite um sports uh, team of of, of of this province so uh, very difficult uh, for a lot of people but uh, Rick um, moving to a, an interview that Mark Bergevin did with TVR because he touched on this he touched on the plans because as you noted the Montreal Canadiens do have a rather full roster that could fill could satisfy an AHL team and uh, ECHL of, team
2: yeah
1: part of an ECHL team at the very least and then we know that they were loaning out talent all year long, mostly to Maine, but other other places as well. So Mark Bergervan was asked about the plan going forward.
2: Well, particularly because Michael McNiven got bounced around the ECHL uh, last season. Yeah. Uh, as you said, as you said, they were hoping for a solution, hoping to have their own ECH affiliate in Trois Rivieres. Uh, not going to happen. Um, Mark Bergevan said, you know, he, he talked about how difficult it is to send players to Europe uh, because there's a limited number of, of uh, foreign skaters allowed. Um, for the ECHL, he said that he's been in talks with Jacksonville and Wheeling to send players there. Uh, Jacksonville, it's the Jacksonville Icemen. Uh, they're an affiliate with uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Wheeling Nailers are the Pittsburgh Penguins affiliate. Um, so th- the difficulty is that, that those two um, franchises will accommodate their own players first. And we saw that um, that Michael McNiven briefly went to uh, the Iceman um, last year, but then got bumped by Winnipeg Jets uh, goalies. Um, and in addition, you're going to have all these other players from uh, from, uh, six, uh, um, affiliates that, that are suspending their season, uh, that are going to be there. So this is, this is going to be tough. This is going to be really tough for, uh, for the Canadians.
1: Yeah. We'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. But yeah, this is not going to be very easy, uh, for Marc Bergevin and the Montreal Canadiens. Um, speaking of, uh, not going to be very easy, uh, the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, you talk about we we talked in recent weeks about getting Jeff Petrie locked in, getting Brendan Gallagher locked in. You shift your focus now to Philip Deneau. And and uh, Mark Bergevin touched on the negotiations, uh, saying that they they tried, uh, but the sides too far apart.
2: We had discussions in September, and it didn't go the way the two sides wanted, so we put it on hold. Says Mark Bergevin in in the interview with TVA. Uh, he went on to say, I do not exclude that eventually we will return to the negotiating, ta- no negotiating table. That isn't very positive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the way I read that, of, <laughs> we don't exclude that there's a possibility. We don't exclude that eventually uh, yeah. we'll be in that. That doesn't sound uh, very positive. So, yeah. um, you know, it it was clear that uh, Mark Bergevin was put off by the demands of uh, the, the Deneau team. Um, and uh, has left the situation where Phil Deneau will, will now uh, be start, at least starting uh, a yeah. prove-me uh, season uh, before his unrestricted uh, 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 period comes up.
1: At least uh, those words, at least not, uh, not, very, uh, not brimming with enthusiasm for Mark Bergevin. <laughs> so we'll have to wait. But, Rick, uh, you also touched on prediction for the All-Canadian division, which leads in perfectly to what we will be talking about after a quick break in the second segment we're gonna be touching on, whether or not the Canadians would be better off playing in the Atlantic Division or an All-Canadian Division. So stay with us, we'll get to that after a quick break.
0: Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, A young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit allhabs.net and click the Join Our Team tab today.
1: Welcome back to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. I'm Joe Whalen. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Whalen19. And with me in studio is the president and founder of Rocket Sports, Rick Stevens. You can follow him at All AllHabs on Twitter. And you can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And visit our website at CanadiansConnection.com. So, Rick, uh, we have decided to go uh, this route for the big topic this week, and that is to discuss whether or not the Montreal Canadiens, because there's a lot of uncertainty right now, and we don't know what exactly this season is going to look like. Will the Montreal Canadiens be playing in the Atlantic Division as they have since 2013, or is it going to be different this year? Are they going to be playing in this all-Canadian division that has been talked about and proposed as an alternative to avoid a lot of travel between the border? It, it, it is a very interesting conversation and i'm proud to say that uh, for once it is a, it's my idea
2: <laughs> you've been lobbying because for this yeah
1: take pride in it i've been lobbying it. yeah 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 it's 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 my idea because you're the you're the big brain on this show so <laughs> you and we uh we typically have a great great big topics and i'm happy that this one has been the one that i've lobbied for and i think it's a very interesting conversation to have because in either case you're going to be dealing with the toronto maple leafs you're going to be dealing with the Ottawa Senators. But after that, it gets really interesting. So if you play in the Atlantic Division, you have to deal with Boston and Tampa Bay, who have, over the last number of years, been the, been the big bullies of that division that have always been hanging out uh, outside the cafeteria doors waiting to beat you up. Uh, but you also have Detroit, you have Tampa, you have, uh, or excuse me, Detroit, you have Florida, you have Buffalo, who... Might be a little bit more on equal footing, but then you go to the All Canadian Division. It gets really interesting because you add in those four Western Canadian teams, and it, I think it's it's tough. And Mark Bergevin touched on that. I think either direction here is tough. And Mark Bergevin talked specifically about the All Canadian Division.
2: He said, the quote is, um, quote, I'm ready to say that the Canadian division is going to be a little more difficult than the Atlantic. It's going to be a whole different world against the Western teams. These are never easy games. Just having Canadian clubs will increase the intensity by a notch. The fans will take a closer look. Now, um, it's going to be interesting because the intensity part is usually uh, propelled by having fans in the building. Uh, especially when uh, the Canadians go on their Western tour and you see in Calgary and Vancouver and Winnipeg, uh, Canadians camp fans come out in force. Uh, oh, yeah. and and, and uh, you know, oftentimes it's it's fifty percent uh, uh, Habs fans in those in those buildings. This is going to be it's going to be some sort of,, uh, um, it looks like modified hub situation. Um, Mark Bergevin hopes that the Canadians will host games, um, in this division, but you know, that's, that's certainly not going to be the case in, in unless there's changes happen. But given the situation in Quebec, given the, the premier's, uh, uh, restrictions, uh, it's not going to happen, um, that, that way. Uh, he said that if they hosted games, quote, it would be interesting for us since the players would be in a familiar environment. Uh, from but from what i hear in the league it wouldn't be one bubble city but several montreal could be one of them that would be good for us but it will depend on the government rules that's the quebec government rules we'll see if we can have fans in the building or not and that doesn't look uh, very likely at this point
1: yeah you'd have to think that that might be out of the question at this point but of course with anything we'll wait and see how it plays out but but yeah, it, it's it's an interesting conversation to have, Rick, because when I look at this, and I think I agree with Mark Bergevin with what he's saying. There is that the Western Canadian teams, there's a little bit more, there's a bit more of a intensity when you're playing in these all Canadian matchups. And I don't know if it would be any more than it would be uh, intensity from playing the Boston Bruins. But he is right when he's saying that. But the thing that I look at here is you have Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. You have Vancouver, who just came off of being the last Canadian team standing in the playoffs. They've got a young core. They're getting better. You have Edmonton, which presents the McDavid and Dreisaitl. Uh Obviously, the goaltending, not exactly great. And you don't know if the—it's it, it, a difficult thing to predict Edmonton. It's it's not exactly easy. But can the Canadians keep up with the production of those two? You go to Calgary, they just got Jacob Markstrom. Gives them a little bit more stability. And Winnipeg, you have the firepower. You have Connor Hellebuck. Defensive core, eh, a little bit shaky. But with all that, I think that that's a very tough division. Whereas you go to the Atlantic, now this is all to say, you can play this game on paper, (laughs) but it's not going to result in much. Because last year, the Montreal Canadiens should have beat the Detroit Red Wings. They lost to them all four times on paper. If the game's played on paper, the Montreal Canadiens win. They lost all four times to Detroit. And Detroit's young, so I mean... They could be better this year. Same thing with Ottawa. I think Ottawa is going to be better this year. They're on the rise. But you look at Buffalo, who signed Taylor Hall, but even then, they're not looking like they're going to be uber competitive. There's an opportunity there, I think, for the Montreal Canadiens to get in the door in the Atlantic division. The all-Canadian division I'm a little bit more concerned about because I really don't know what way that's going to go. <laughs> so it's, it's a really interesting conversation.
2: It is. Um, And for me, it all starts in the Atlantic. When you when you talk about the Atlantic, um, you have uh, the Boston Bruins last year's uh, President's Trophy winners. How far do they have to fall uh, to give the Canadians a chance? You have the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, the last year's Stanley Cup winners. I don't yeah. see anyone in the All Canadian in a, uh, a supposed tentative All Canadian division who is as good as as the Lightning or the Bruins. I, I just don't see anyone. Um, when we when we look at uh, and TV odd did this um, looked at uh, the Canadians head to head records against All Canadian teams uh, since the twenty fifteen sixteen season. Ottawa, the Canadians hold a 14-3-4 record against the Senators. Against the Leafs, the Canadians have a 12-4-3 record. Against the Jets, they have a 6-3-1 record. Uh, against the Calgary Flames, they have a 7-2-1 record. Against the Canucks, they have an 8-1-1 and 1 record. Wow. Only against the Oilers did they have a tough time. Uh, that is a 3-6-1 and 1 record uh, since 2015-16. So that... Obviously, bodes pretty pretty well, or at least it sounds like it does for a, a playoff position. Um, your friend Don Lasician, I think yep. we're getting that right from the Athletic. I, we're getting better and better. We're getting better on that. Um, <laughs> he from an analytic from an analytics perspective, he he looked at uh, how this might turn out in all Canadian division. Uh, he has the Toronto Maple Leafs on top. They would be fifth in the league, uh, and he calls them the best team in Canada according to his model. Uh, then he has the Edmonton Oilers uh, second in an all-Canadian division, twelfth overall in the league. Uh, the Calgary Flames at thirteenth, um, you know, on par with with Edmonton. Uh, the Canadians at fourteenth. So you have Edmonton twelfth, Calgary thirteenth, Montreal fourteenth. That's in the league, so uh, looking at Canadians as a middle of the pack, bumping up from 24th overall to 14th. Uh, below the Canadians would be Vancouver, Winnipeg, and and Ottawa. And, you know, from an analytics perspective, again, we're talking about, as yeah. as you uh, emphasized, uh, on paper only, uh, that would give the Canadians a, a pretty good shot of, of uh, uh, playoff action in an all-Canadian division. Um, and, and look like they're they're kind of on, on par with Calgary and Edmonton at this point.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that he's right there to put, because I think when you said, I mean, I would agree with you that there isn't a team in the all-Canadian division that's as good as Tampa Bay or as good as Boston, uh, but Toronto, I think, is rightly on, on the top there, and I like what they've done this offseason. They added Simmons, they added Thornton, they added Brody, they added Bogosian. They had a goal here to get tougher to play against, and I think that they've accomplished that. Obviously, it's early. you are playing the game on paper, but they just have a lot more balance right now in their forward group especially. They traded it away Kapanen and Janssen, who were similar players to what they had in their top six already. They didn't need more of them in the bottom six. Now they've given themselves a little bit more of a different identity, and I think that that's going to be a little bit more of a challenge. And that's the thing. This is to say that whichever way you go, you're going to be dealing with the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're going to be dealing with the Ottawa Senators. And I also think the Ottawa Senators are going to be tougher to play against. They might not be right there. They might not be as good as the Montreal Canadiens, but they're going to be tough to play against. And this is what I get back to with the Atlantic Division, is the All-Canadian Division, I think, is going to be tough. But I don't think there's going to be an easy out in the Atlantic division either. I think the Atlantic division is going to be incredibly tough. I like Florida, and it's it's easy to forget about Florida sometimes. But I, I really like Joel Quenville behind the bench. I think that they've got a good trajectory going here. Obviously, they have a lot of young pieces. They're hoping Sergei Bobrovsky can provide them a little bit more stability between the pipes. But you look at Florida, you look at Tampa Bay. The one thing that I will say is the Boston Bruins, and you pointed out, I don't think that Perhaps there isn't a Canadian team that's as good as the Boston Bruins, but I still think that the Boston Bruins might be might be looking at a little bit of a regression. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's going to be severe enough to have a team overtake them in the Atlantic Division, but I think they're still looking at a regression simply because since Tory Krug entered the league in 2013, keep in mind, now with the St. Louis Blues, but a career Bruin up until that. Since he entered the league in 2013, he made his de- debut in the shortened season, played one game, but fi- uh, excuse me, 2013-14 is where he really started to break through, had a breakout year that year, and since then, the Boston Bruins' power play has been league average or better, been above le- league average, excuse me, for every season except for 14-15. The Boston Bruins have had a power play above league average. And 160 of his career points out of 337, which is about 47% of his career production, are power play points. So the one thing that I wonder is where does that production get replaced? Who does it? Do they do it as effectively? I don't know. This is all to say that we don't Mm -hmm. know much at this point. But the perfection line we know is potent. And that might be enough to just carry them through. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the power play points were assists because he's passing to David Pasternak and <laughs> Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. But at the end of the day, I'm curious to see where Boston goes, if they regress at all, and if they do, by how much? Is it enough for a team to, you know, is, does that open the door for a different team in the Atlantic? Because we've seen it's been the same song and dance in the Atlantic division in a season, in a full season. It's been Tampa Bay, it's been Boston, it's been Toronto in those three seeds. So is it present an opportunity for there to be something different? And that's that's going to be something that I think that we're going to have to wait and see. But all that is to say, I think that the Atlantic division, I don't think there's an easy out in that division because Ottawa's getting young. Uh, Ottawa's getting better each year. They get more experience. Their core group is getting better. Detroit is a young team that Steven Iserman, Steve Eiserman, I think, you're starting to see the the sort of effects of his rebuild starting to take shape a little bit. Buffalo added Taylor Hall. I still don't know if they're going to be that great. Florida, though, I think is, is a forgotten team that could very well compete uh, with the Montreal Canadiens if there is indeed any type of regression. But Rick, I think the interesting part of this is... So we've we've had a bit of a say here. Is there anything else you'd like to get to before we move on?
2: No, this is. uh, Yeah, Yeah. there is two parts to this. There is um, all the changes uh, that have been made, what the teams have done in the offseason. Um, and and what it, a new division um, uh, right. the effect yeah. that it might have. But then there's the whole fan component. Yes. And we're calling this this particular uh, episode uh, that the Habs fans are gaining confidence. I think they're brimming with confidence.
1: Yes, very much so. And Rick, there was a poll in the Athletic uh, conducted uh, for Montreal Canadiens fans by Arpan Basu and Marc Antoine Godin, and they did a follow up of a survey that they had done just months, months prior. Uh, I believe, was it back at the beginning of the pandemic or something close there too in terms of a timeline, but yeah. they did a follow-up. So basically what had happened was at the very beginning, they asked, do you consider the Montreal Canadians to be a playoff caliber team as constituted um, in 2020, 2021? And when they asked months ago, 62% said no. Fast forward to just the other day, and they put out this poll, this survey in the Athletic. Ninety-five percent of Montreal Canadiens fans view the playoffs as something that is going to happen for the Montreal Canadiens this year.
2: This is stunning, and and, and it yep. can only happen with with fans because yes, yep. <laughs> uh, you don't normally conduct the the same survey in in uh, this close together. Um, it was. It happened first in April, and and now yeah. in this second kind of off season, um, it's it's stunning. Will the Canadians make the playoffs uh, before the the uh, the return to play? Before the off season moves, uh, that number was thirty eight percent. It's jumped uh, from in a very short period of time from thirty eight percent to ninety five percent. And that's 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 a pendulum. That's a wild pendulum, yeah. uh, and it can only be delivered by fans. Fans, short for fanatics, their their uh, you know their their opinions uh, vary wildly, um, and and it the same um, the the same optimism, the same enthusiasm, the same confidence was also uh, represented in. Uh, are the Canadians now, or will they be a, uh, a, a Cup winner in the next five years? Uh, what are th- their chances? Um, and uh, it, it's a scale of five. And for those fans that, uh, the very optimistic fans, that back in April uh, registered a four or a five, very positive that they'll win a Stanley Cup in, in uh, four or five years, that number was only 12%. Uh, that number again has jumped up massively to 32 yeah. percent. Um, that's remarkable in such a short period of time uh, for fans to have that much optimism. And the interesting part—remember re- the um, while back we talked about this was this was uh, around the time of the Sebastian Aho uh, offer sheet, the bungled, the yeah. failed. Offer sheet and why did why did uh, Mark Bergevin do that? Why did he do something that would obviously fail? Um, because everybody knew it would fail, and it was designed to fail. Why would he do that? And Elliot Friedman had a theory um, that the Canadians weren't ready to have a Sebastian Ajo, That that um, that uh, he did this to to to. Kind of a, a false kind of hope for the Canadians fans. Oh, he's doing something to help yeah. him out of a bad situation. But Elliot Friedman said at the time that Jeff Molson and Mark Bergevin were afraid of raising expectations. Um, and, you know, having gained Sebastian Aho without other assets to surround him would have uh, boosted the Canadians fans' confidence, their expectations. And if the Canadians fans didn't meet those expectations, who who's the uh, finger get pointed at? Bergeron yeah. and Molson. And this is the interesting part of this wild pendulum uh, that is the or roller coaster, as we've talked about it in the past. <laughs> that, that the Canadians fans um, ride. So you have uh, the Canadians fans uh, thinking, uh, that at least ninety five percent of them now that that this is a playoff team, the the team that Mark Bergeron has assembled is a playoff team. What if the Canadians don't, heaven forbid, um, and I'm yeah. not predicting this, and I'm not wishing this, but heaven forbid the Canadians don't make the playoffs this upcoming season. And and there's a lot of, uh, of factors because it's so much is unknown with with the condensed schedule, with a different mm-hmm. division, with a pandemic, uh, with positive tests. It's possible. It could happen. But with this level of expectation... Uh, that pendulum is going to come back to crush Mark Bergevin. and that's the reason uh, that Elliot Friedman floated the, the theory that maybe they didn't want to go down this route. They didn't want to raise expectations that mu- that much. Well, based on their their return to play and playoff play, based on the off season, those expectations have been raised a whole lot for next season.
1: Yeah, and this is this is all very interesting, and I think that you pointed out correctly that yes, this is this is fans, so you don't often you don't get a real. Um, they, they might have the rose-colored glasses on, as they did last week when we talked about the survey of uh, of fan bases as well. They they might have the rose-colored glasses on when it comes to Mark Bergervan and when it comes to what this team uh, could be. Uh, but I think that it doesn't just, it's not just fans, it's the fact that it's Montreal Canadiens fans, because Montreal Canadiens fans, look, they can start a season, I remember back to the 15-16 season, they started the year undefeated, and they went on a big stretch, and it was okay, this year it's cup or nothing, and then Carey Price got hurt and it very quickly went down the drain. But that's how this fan base is, they're very reactionary, and I understand why, and they want so bad for the Montreal Canadiens to be a cup contender, that they will convince themselves that any marginal improvement is enough to break through that barrier and become a cup contender. And I get that. And I think that there is enough that has been done here to make the Montreal Canadians significantly better than they were in the regular season last year. But the bar isn't that high for that. That's 71 points through 71 games. So, The bar for being a playoff team and being a good one once you get there, that's a little bit higher. So in this same survey, they asked fans, where do you think the Canadians would finish in an all-Canadian division as we've been discussing with Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Toronto, and Ottawa? And you get 44%, the majority of the answer, 44% going third. You had 32% for second. But the majority saying that the Montreal Canadiens in that all Canadian division would be most likely to finish third, which I think given the conversation we just had and and, and you talked about uh, Dom Lushijan's ranking of those teams, given on, on the uh, from looking at it from an analytical point of view, that's just about where Dom might have had. It. I think he had him fourth, but even still, that's the same type of ballpark for the Montreal Canadiens. So the fans might even be aligning there a little bit. The second, 32% for second, maybe not, but yeah.
2: <laughs> well, um, it, first of all, it was nice of the Athletic to, to tie in so nicely with your question, with your big talk. Yeah. That was awfully nice. <laughs> um, but th- yeah, when you look at this, uh, where do you think the Canadians would finish in an all-Canadian division? If you look at the second or third place, um, that's 76, 76% uh, if yep. you combine those. So uh, the vast majority uh, don't see the Canadians taking first spot. I think they agree with Dom uh, that the, the Leafs will probably take that top spot. Now, now in uh, Dom's analytics, he talked about Edmonton, Calgary, and Montreal all being in a clump. Uh, and, and that, that any one of those teams could, could take second, anyone could take third, anyone could take fourth. And that's basically what the survey of fans is saying as well, that, um, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna appear in that, in that clump below the Maple Leafs, whether it's second, whether it's third, um, the, the majority figure, uh, and, and even fourth, there's 13% there. So when you look at, when you look at the second, third and fourth that Dom predicted, uh, that's, 89% Eighty-nine percent of the fans agree uh, that that the Canadians will end up in that that uh, that range, uh, and it, and it could be a very close race right uh, right down the stretch. I think that's uh, I, I think that's fascinating, and and it shows that uh, the Canadians fans have paid attention um, to not only what what their team uh, has done in the offseason, but to what other teams have done as well.
1: So, Rick, I think. To, to clue all this up, because I think that this is a very interesting conversation for a lot of reasons, but Mark Bergevin said the All Canadian division would be tough for the Montreal Canadiens. And we've sort of painted the argument that the Atlantic would probably be equally, maybe even more tough for the Montreal Canadiens. If I were to put you on the spot right now, if you're Mark Bergevin, you're Claude Julian, any member of the Montreal Canadiens, which division would you rather? the Montreal Canadiens play in an Atlantic division that you've known since 2013 or a makeshift all Canadian.
2: Yeah. I think for, for Claude Julien, uh, he's probably, you know, he has more insight into the Atlantic division, obviously given his tenure with, with both Boston and Montreal. So I mean, he's probably leaning that way just because he knows his opposition better. Um, Mark Bergevin signaled that, that he's a bit wary because, uh, it's always tough against Western teams, and that's true. Yeah. Uh, all uh, you know, you know there, there's the impression that that's true, but uh, according to the TVA uh, data, uh, the Canadians have done pretty well against Canadian teams. Um, and the, and you know, the fan in me just wants to see that happen. Just wants yeah. to see uh, the the Canadians go against other Canadian teams. I think that would be. Uh, given that that the the season is is already going to be different, already going to be, uh, y- you know, not the same. Um, why not have a, an all Canadian division? And they may not even have a, a, a an opportunity to make the choice if uh, yeah. you know the Canadian U.S. borders now close to the end of December, and and uh, that looks like uh, there'll be some extensions there as well.
1: And for yeah, for reasons not pertaining exclusively to hockey I think that it's going to end up being an all-Canadian division but it would it would be a little bit difficult to go without a Montreal Canadiens versus Boston Bruins game uh, that might be a little bit difficult to see happen but I think yeah I think you're right I think that perhaps the all-Canadian division just because this season is going to be Uh, Very, very different. I think that might be the direction that they go, and I think perhaps presents a better opportunity for the Montreal Canadiens to live up to the lofty expectations of their fan base. Uh, So, Rick, with that said, uh, we'll wrap this segment up, and we'll be back after a quick break. Stay with us here on the Canadiens Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio.
0: The Canadiens Connection is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked-out hockey cave or fanic. your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net.
1: And welcome back to episode 111 of the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. You can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and visit our website at canadiansconnection.com. So, Rick, uh, before we go this week, uh, before we wrap this up for another week, uh, we do have some very important uh, updates to share and specifically we'll lead off with Movember. And last week we passed the $100 mark this week past
2: $200. Wow. That's terrific. Uh, we have yeah. 10 days to go, just under 10 days to go in the in the campaign. Um, we'd love to have your support uh, for no- uh, Movember. Um, you can find us. Go to uh, and and uh, search for All Habs, all one word, All Habs, and you'll get right to the All Habs Hockey Magazine page if you're able to make a, a donation, whatever amount it is. We'd really uh, appreciate that. the The Movember Foundation uh, is all about men's physical and and mental health, uh, and supports a a, a a wide variety of of important programs. Uh, Chris G, our own Chris G, who helps us out with the podcast here and and contributes the notepad articles every week, uh, made a generous donation, and and we thank Chris G for that. Uh, in in uh, in helping us uh, to helping us to help. Uh, the Movember Foundation.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, it's a very important cause and one that we're happy uh, to contribute to. But uh, Rick, we also had some news uh, this week and on on our end uh, with new cover art uh, for the Canadians Connection podcast. And uh, we're with the changes that we've made in recent times, the past uh, what seven odd, eight months. Dating back to the pandemic, we've made a lot of changes to this podcast, and this is just the most recent one.
2: It is. We've made uh, lots of investments in uh, in our sound, in our um, uh, studio, in our distribution, um, and uh, and this is this is the next step. Uh, we have uh, brand new cover art. We had a, employed a, a, a graphic designer uh, who came up with something specifically for uh, the Canadians Connection podcast. Um, also, just to mention, uh, he also did one for uh, the Press Zone, uh, yeah. taking into account uh, uh, our needs. And uh, I think it came out great. It's, it's distinctive. It uh, stands out. Uh, it talks about the Canadians Connection being your inside link to the Montreal Canadiens. And, and that's what we try to do is make connections every week. Um, we don't have the licensing f- to use the Canadians logo, so we thought we would use uh, the unique flavor of Canadians fans represented here by the Canadian flag and the fleur-de-lis, and you'll find those in the, in the new uh, uh, artwork Uh, It also has uh, our iconic torch uh, for Rocket Sports Media and Rocket Sports Radio. So uh, let us know what you think when you see that pop up on your favorite podcast platform. You'll see the new cover art. Uh, And don't be frightened. It's still us. It's still the Canadians Connection. That should be quite evident. Uh, But uh, a a new, clean, bold, distinctive look for the Canadians Connection
1: and it's even on twitter and facebook for the canadians connection and Press zone pages as well so you can go ahead fleet. and check it out there i tried try to
2: fleet i try to fleet yeah my not first fleet not you too Rick. I, i'm Rick. sorry i'm really sorry Man. i'm so sorry <laughs> i'm so <laughs> because sorry because it's
1: because it's you all accept it all but right. I, i'm just like i said before the show i'm just want an edit button on twitter is that too much <laughs> to ask for they have to give us stories and all that. no we don't need fleets we need an edit button thank you Very much. Uh, (laughs) That's my that's my fleet rant. Um, But Rick, uh, we also received uh, a message from our friend Dino this Mm -hmm. week, and it relates uh, to you, to uh, Amy Johnson, and myself. Uh, Would you like to read it? Will I give it a read? Uh, go uh, yeah, read the read. Give it a read. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, Greetings, Mezami, all Habs. Catching up to the podcast. Almost there. Thanks for your efforts, time shared with us, and kind words. Discouraged to hear about our our friend Nikita and what he went through. Uh, those things should not happen, eh? Much too often in our recent, year, in recent past. He is being noble and honorable and taking the high road back. Wish him well. Boy, he has a lot of talent. Yeah, and he references the ice caps. Why is the front office speaking publicly about Primo like he is ahead of McNiven and Charlie Lindgren? He is not. If his development stalls, wish that not for him or for anyone— What have we created? I continue to believe that both Charlie and McNiven are special. Third jerseys, you folks are right. During COVID-19 crunch, how are we going to pay $300? Raises an interesting point. The NHL should be gifting them to us as appreciation for our (laughs) loyalty during these tough times. I couldn't agree more with that. That's, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and jo- he says, Joseph, good luck in the big smoke, <laughs> Toronto, and make your way back to Habs Land and be the radio call for our team. Yeah. Uh, be careful, though. They call it the big smoke for a reason. Uh, merci de nouveau. Uh, partez vous bien. And uh, yeah, always Montreal. CH toujours. Uh and to that I will say I think that that sounds like a that sounds like a great plan and I hope that that comes to pass and uh hopefully that will be uh <laughs> that will be what happens but uh thank you for your kind words as always Dino it's oh. fantastic to hear every 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 message that we get from Dino.
2: Oh for sure and he's he's always uh uh helpful in his comments he's also uh, you know uh, supportive and and keeps us going every week uh to deliver the the information um, it's Dino. Uh, goes by the nickname Le Petit Bill and uh, Little Molly, uh, and they uh, also uh, helped us with our November campaign and, and provided a, a generous donation. But but Dino has has a, a vision for us uh, that we just need a, we need a, a, a one of those angel uh, 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 supporters uh, yeah. investors to come our way because uh, he'd like us to do the, uh, the Canadians' coverage. And what his overall vision is, is for us um, uh, to employ our good friend Brian Rogers, who I'm sure Brian, uh, uh, I know Brian quite well, he, he wants yeah. him to be our play-by-play um, wow. uh, for our coverage. Um, and uh, me doing um, uh, color and, uh, uh, Amy Johnson doing all of the, uh, the interviews and, uh, with the players She's and, wonderful and staff. At that. She's very good at that. Yeah. And then for you to, when Brian's, uh, time is, is there to step aside once you're finished with the college ah. of sports media uh, for you <laughs> to step in uh, and be the play by play guy. What a great vision.
1: Those are some big shoes to fill, though. Brian Rogers, I mean, that's uh, the cowhide crab and the leather lobster. I don't know if I can fit into that, but uh, I think... But if you're going to replace the Newfoundlander,
2: <laughs> yeah, you got to do it with another Newfoundlander. you got to do it with another
1: Newfoundlander, yeah. exactly. I think, I mean, he's pointed out some tremendously talented people to do that, so I think that he's in, he's in the right direction, I think. Uh, that is for sure. <laughs> with you, with Brian Rogers and Amy Johnson, I don't think... I shouldn't say myself being tremendously talented, but oh, yeah. he's, got the right, he's got the right people for the job, that's for sure. But, Rick, uh, we will say goodbye for another week here on the Canadians Connection podcast. Uh, we'll be back with you next week with all the latest Montreal Canadians news. So thank you for tuning in to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio.
0: Click subscribe so you never miss an episode of Canadians Connection. Visit allhabs.net for breaking news about the Montreal Canadiens.